So Jesus has appeared to his disciples, showing them many proofs that he is alive for a period of 40 days. And he then instructs them not to leave Jerusalem, but to stay there and wait for the gift that his father promised. He's referring to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my father promised. To this, the disciples gather at the, mount, the mountain of olives and they ask Jesus a question. Are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? To restore is to bring back. It is to reestablish. This means that the disciples are thinking of another kingdom. They have a kingdom in mind that they are referring to, and they are asking Jesus whether he is going to restore it. Probably because they know that Jesus came, he is the Messiah that has come in the line of David. David's kingdom was the kingdom of Israel. And so when they ask Jesus whether he is going to restore the kingdom to Israel, the disciples are not thinking about the kingdom of God. Even though David's kingdom came from God, they are thinking of an earthly kingdom. While Jesus did not come to establish the kingdom of David, he came to bring the kingdom of God. So as the disciples ask this question to Jesus, they are confusing an earthly kingdom with a, a heavenly kingdom. They are confusing Roman dominion with the bondage of sin. They are confusing politics with faith. It's, we do that all the time. Sometimes we are tempted to think that because you are a Republican, then you are a Christian. And sometimes Christians are tempted to think that the definition of being a sinner is being a Democrat. Confusing faith with politics. And Jesus responds to them. He tells them, it's not for you to know the times. It's not in your hands. The question you are asking is irrelevant to the mission ahead of you. It's not for you to start worrying about when the kingdom will be restored. And then he assures them in verse 8. 
of Acts chapter 1. He tells them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he refocuses them. He takes them from their earthly thinking and he helps them to think heavenly. From their fleshly thinking to a spiritual thinking, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is a promise. It is an assurance. And you shall be my witnesses. You will be telling my story. And Jesus tells them that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of David, the center of Jewish religion. Jerusalem crucified Jesus. And the disciples are going to witness, to be witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, in the presence of those who rejected him and crucified him. They will stand up for Christ and share the gospel, Jesus is telling them. But he also tells them that you will be my witnesses in all Judea. A city that rejected Christ because of their unbelief. So you will not only speak to those who rejected me and crucified me. You will also speak to those who don't believe in me. And in Samaria. Samaritans are half-breeds. They are confused about their own religion. They are compromised. Jews looked down upon Samaritans. And Jesus is telling them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will empower you to minister even to the people that you look down upon. To those people that you despise that you think they don't qualify to those people that you discriminate, the Holy Spirit will empower you to minister to them. And then he says, and to the end of the earth, the Gentiles, those people that uh, appear to be forgotten will also hear the gospel. This tells us that the gospel does not only open doors, it breaks all existing barriers. This tells us that as a Christian, when you experience the power of the gospel, it will get rid of all your discriminations, all your biases, because the only person that will matter in your life is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ matters in your life, everyone else will matter in your life. And when Jesus, I'm going through verse 1 to 11 here. When Jesus says these words, 
he is taken up. And a cloud appears and covers him. Before the disciples, they can see it happening. This cloud is the glorious presence of the Father. This cloud is the same cloud that we see when the Israelites leave Egypt and it goes with them by day, assuring them that God is present with them. It is the same cloud that Moses sees in Mount Sinai when he, when he encounters God. It is the same cloud that covers the tabernacle and fills the temple. It is the same cloud that surrounds Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when his clothes turned into white and Moses and Elijah appeared to encourage him as he prepared for his own death. And Peter saw them and said, Lord, let us build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the voice of the Father spoke and said, this is my son, listen to him. The cloud here affirms that the message from Jesus is the message from the Father. The disciples see that cloud and probably they are connecting the dots in their mind. Peter and John and Jacob can remember what happened. They know this is something that is going on here. They can connect with the Old Testament and they know we are seeing the glorious presence of the Father and therefore they stand there staring until a voice interrupts them. A voice from two men dressed in white. Let us look at this voice here and what it says in verse 10 and 11. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I'm tempted to think that these two men were Moses and Elijah. I'm tempted to think that, I don't know if they were, but I'm tempted to think that they were. But even if they're not, these two men are men from heaven. These two men are messengers of God. These two men are here to help the disciples realize that staring doesn't change anything. Listen to what they say in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why are you staring? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the number one thing I see here, these two men telling the disciples, 
the number one thing I see is that they are saying to the disciples, stop staring. Stop it. You know, we as Christians, we are tempted in many ways to stare. We like the view of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, angels singing, the shepherd worshiping, the wise men coming to bring gifts and worshiping this king. We like that view. We enjoy the view of seeing Jesus crucified and dying on the cross and shedding his blood, the blood that washes our sins away. We like that view and therefore we stare. We enjoy singing the hymns. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We enjoy singing those hymns, and they are good hymns. But then we, we stare. We complain when we see the fabric of the society being ripped apart by perverted politicians and special interest groups, and yet we stare as if there is nothing that we can do. Christians today appear so helpless. We look at a culture that is confused, a culture that cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman, and yet Christians stare. Our children go to schools that are mislead them. Schools where the line between right and wrong is being erased. And yet we, we stare. Christians even though we have all it takes to be confident, all it takes to be courageous and to take a stand, in the eyes of the society, we appear as being the weakest people. We no longer take a stand. Like the disciples, we marvel at what God has done in our lives and what we trust him for, but we just stare. And the message here is, stop staring. And when you stop staring, what do you do? I'm glad you asked. When you stop staring... You start sharing. The disciples are told by Jesus, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. You no longer need to hear that because that power is already in you as we speak. First John chapter 4 verse 4 reminds us that greater is the one in you than the one who is in the world. 
Greater is he who is in you than the one who is in the world. You have everything it takes to stand for God. Everything. And yet, we stare. Stop staring and start sharing. If someone asks you what did the pastor preach today, just tell him. He said, stop staring and start sharing. Jesus wants his followers to share his story. The story of Jesus is your story if you are a believer. Jesus does not expect you to be a theologian. He just wants you to share what you have experienced in your life. And the responsibility to share the message is for all Christians. I have had Christians say, oh, I cannot share the gospel. I cannot do it. When you make a statement like that, that statement says much more about your faith in God than you think. You are telling God, God, you are wrong. You are wrong for saving me. Because I have no experience to share with anyone. You are wrong for forgiving me. I can't share my forgiveness with anyone. You are wrong for accepting me as your son or as your daughter because I cannot share that. The message to share is for each one of us. And every person that worships here has a part to play. If you have experienced the power of the gospel, the power of the saving Jesus Christ, you have a story that you can share. For those of you that are in school, listen to me. When you are at school, you can still stand up for Christ. You can still stand up for what you believe in. You can still show that you are a believer. And one way you can do it is by looking at your friends. When they are going through difficulties, their parents are divorcing, or one of the parents is sick, or their grandfather or grandmother is sick, and they are concerned, or they have failed in their exam. Something is bothering them. That is a chance for you. When you notice that, as a Christian, come alongside and ask them, can I pray for you? Matthew, do you hear me? Yes. You like asking me questions. You should start asking your friends at school. Can I pray for you? And pray for them. And the next day you come remind them that you prayed for them. 
It's a small step that helps you to stand for your faith. It is lunchtime. Everyone is having their food. Take a moment and pray. Take a moment and pray. Show that you believe in someone who is so powerful. He deserves your time. And you're not ashamed of him. Yes. And for those of us that work, we can do the same thing too. It's not wrong to ask someone if you can pray for them. Don't listen to someone's problems or difficulties and then just say, oh, I'm sorry. It will get well. You will go through it. Just ask, can I pray with you right now? I was meeting with a bank manager the other day to discuss some financial things at Bank of America. And this lady sat before me and, and we were talking and I could just see something wasn't right. And I asked her, what's going on? And she said, no, I'm okay. And we went on and I'm looking at her and I can tell something is not right. So I asked her again, what, what's going on? So oh, it's okay, don't mind. The more she said that, the more I asked. <laughs> and finally she said, I'm having a divorce. And immediately when she said that, I could see tears. And I just asked her, can I pray for you? <laughs> and guess what? She said yes. And I prayed for her. And my plan now is to make arrangements for another meeting. <laughs> to discuss some financial things. <laughs> there are so many opportunities for us to stand up for Christ, for us to be witnesses. And we can use them. We can use them. Two things that you can do here. Two things to help you. One, pray that God may give you a hunger for God and a heart for people. Pray that God may give you a hunger for God and a heart for people. I said here sometimes back, when you read the Bible, when you hear the message and you are saying, I really want to do this, but I just don't know how. Make it a prayer request. Turn it to God as a prayer. Pray for God to give you a hunger for God and a heart for people. And number two, engage your culture 
with the word of God. Engage your culture with the word of God. The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God can penetrate any resistance, any culture. You have a tool that can break all boundaries and that can open all doors. You are just not using it. Christians will be so quick to argue over theological things. And God has given us his word that we can use in our lives, in our communities, at work, at school, in colleges, everywhere we are. Engage your culture with God's word. Nothing can stop it. Pray for the hunger of God and a heart for people. And engage your culture with God's word. For you to engage your culture with God's word, you need to take time to read God's word. Every time there is a, an argument, every time people are talking about theological stuff, ask yourself, what does the Bible say? The only confidence you should have as a child of God is when you speak the word of God. Not when you identify with this theological movement or this theological movement or this political movement or this political movement. It's when you speak the word of God. Because as a child of God, God's word is for you. There are two events that happened in Hudson River. Hudson River is in New York. On January 15, 2009, a U.S. Airways flight 1549 made an emergency landing in the Hudson River. The pilot made that decision because the two engines had failed. And when he made that emergency landing, he saved himself, the flight crews, and 150 passengers. No one was hurt. No one died. On April 15th, 2011, a woman took her four children, put them in a minivan, and drove straight into the Hudson River, drowning with three of her four children. One of her sons who survived said, that when she was driving into the chilling waters of Hudson River, she said that if I'm going to die, we are going to die, all of us. She made a decision that day that killed herself and her two children. Two people making a decision. One decision 
leads to death. The other one leads to life. The choice is yours. You can decide today and say, I am going to start sharing because I know people are dying. Because I know our culture is headed on the wrong direction. I am going to start sharing for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of the lives that are lost. Or you can say, I've heard this before. I like staring. I'm going to remain the same way. The choice is yours. If Jesus is not your savior, you can make that choice today. You can say, I am turning to you, Lord. I'm giving you my life. Please forgive me and save me. You can make that choice today. It's a choice that gives you life. Or you can choose to reject Christ and remain where you are. And if you die without Jesus, you will suffer in hell. Again, the choice is yours. Father, I thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. I bless you for giving us opportunities after opportunities to glorify you. I thank you for your word and the power of the Holy Spirit from high. I thank you, Father, for the promises that you make in your word and also, Father, for considering us worthy to be used as your vessels. I know, Lord, there are many other issues that take our attention. I know, Father, there are many other requests that we have. I know there are many difficulties that we face, and some of them are financial difficulties, emotional difficulties, the pain that other people experience. There are so many things in our lives, and all these things sometimes stop us from being what you've called us to be. But Father, it is my prayer this morning and anyone else who is praying the same prayer, that you give us a hunger for you. You give us a hunger for you and a heart for your people. But Father, we may love you with everything and that that love may lead us to share the message of hope that we have. But I also pray that even as we confess that the Bible is God's word for us, that, Father, you will make this confession real in our lives so that we can use your word to engage our culture. 
how I pray, Lord, that you unite us. How I pray, Father, that you break all the barriers that exist between us. All kinds of biases and stereotypes. How I pray that you create in us one body that worships you in truth and in spirit. How I pray that you use us as the light that shines in the dark. How I pray that you glorify yourself in our lives. And if there is that one person who does not know you, I pray that you may enable that person to make that decision today. May you be glorified, Lord, as you accomplish what you intend to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.